Greetings. This is Kevin Saunders of the Arizona Bible Class, and it's time again for the gospel to come to life. Many of you are aware that I have been for the last four years, and will continue to do so as long as I'm blessed the opportunity, making these shorter versions of the gospel comes to life available on the Bishop's Hour for the Diocese of Phoenix. In addition to that 11-minute segment, I've now expanded the insights to about a half an hour in duration. That's what you're listening to now, anticipating the gospel for this coming week's lectionary reading. The reading that we're going to be looking at today will find us in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. Now, the real blessing of this opportunity of allowing the gospel to come to life is that we have time to unpack the narrative. So we walk into the gospel fully prepared to listen and to learn from Jesus. Where are we in John chapter 14? Well, Judas has been dismissed. The Passover meal, the actual eating and drinking, has come to a conclusion. And things are going to, at the end of chapter 14, be brought to an abrupt end before the typical experience of the ceremony that we call the Seder meal or the ordered recounting of the Passover events actually concludes. Those events, that event I should say, actually concludes with the consumption of a fourth cup of wine that has not yet been poured and will appear in the mind of Jesus while he's in the Garden of Gethsemane contemplating what his father has asked him to do. That fourth cup of the Seder meal is sometimes called the cup of acceptance. And the idea is at the end of the meal, that grand celebration after recounting the deliverance from captivity into freedom, the giving of the law to guide us in that way of life that we become free to express, is drinking of a cup that gives us the courage to say, Lord, we accept whatever you have for us until this time next year. Imagine if you or I had had to drink that cup and embrace that notion of acceptance, not knowing what COVID-19 was going to do, uh, not only to our country, but to our world. And so at the Passover Seder meal, we pray for the grace to accept whatever fate might befall us. Now that ends the meal, and the meal has not formally come to an end. We are now waiting until Jesus determines it is safe to leave the upper room. And if you read ahead to the end of chapter 14, the last words of Jesus in the chapter are, get up, we need to go. Why? Well, because earlier in chapter 13, in verse 31, he had dismissed Judas to go and secure the guard that would have most certainly been brought back to the upper room, intending to arrest Jesus at that particular location. Jesus needs to vacate the premises in advance of Judas and the arresting party coming on the scene. And the material of teaching in chapter 14 are those last few moments that Jesus has with his disciples before they begin their journey across the upper city, across the Temple Mount, out through the Golden Gate, 
across the Kidron Valley and the Creek Kidron before they arrive safely where Jesus will take his stand in the olive grove called the Garden of Gethsemane or the place where the olives are pressed at the base of the Mount of Olives. Now, as I mentioned last week, Jesus brought to their attention at that particular time before the teaching of our gospel last week and most certainly our gospel this week, the following commandment. This is remembered in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you also should love one another. This is how all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And I mentioned last week, and will repeat again this week, the biblical notion of love is different in the Middle East than it is in our Western culture. There are certainly emotive elements attached to love, but more significant than the emotive element is the element of attachment. To love someone is to be attached to them. Therefore, to hate someone is to detach yourself from them. That's why Jesus can teach that if you are going to be my disciples, you need to find a way to love me, attach yourself to me, and remember, hate your parents. He doesn't for a moment mean that you shouldn't honor your parents and revere your parents and provide for your parents and respect your parents and obey your parents, but you have to hate them. Meaning, if you're going to follow me, you have to detach yourself from your reliance upon them, the rich young man. Master, what must I do to be saved? Here's from Jesus for you. The answer to the question is quite simple. Take everything you have that is gifted you by your connection to your family and give it away. And then come and follow me. Effectively, detach yourself from those things that have attached you to your family. Now, where is love most evident? In the Middle East, that idea of love as attachment is most evident in families, right? Blood is thicker than water. And so your loyalty to your family, to your tribe, by extension to where your family and tribe live, your village are supreme supremely important, and they trump all other commitments. Now, everyone sitting around that table that evening was not related familially. That is, we have two sets of brothers, James and John, and Andrew and Peter. They're related one to the other, but the general group of the twelve are not. So, what is the new commandment? From now on, you should love one another means that you should, from now on, relate to one another as if you were of the same family, of the same blood. And this will be a revelation to the Middle East world. That's why in verse 35, this is how all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, if you relate to each other as if you are, in fact, brothers, this will be the witness that will transform the world. Now, we need to control all of that before our gospel begins. Because our gospel begins in John chapter 14 and verse 15 with these words. If you love me, 
as I've commanded you to love me and each other as brothers and sisters in the same family, you will keep my commandments, the teachings that I've imparted to you. Now, how can they possibly keep what they might not be able even to remember? And this could have been a consideration of some. Jesus has taught them so much. How will they ever remember it all? Well, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you always. That English word advocate translates a Greek word parakletos, and a parakletos, or an advocate in English, is someone who pleads the cause of another. So an advocate is someone who's on your side. And Jesus has been, for the previous two and a half years, on their side, praying for them, ministering to them, and through them as they've learned what it means to live as a member and as a person that is filled with God's grace and recognizes the kingdom of God breaking forth in the world. So Jesus says, from now on, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And if you try your best, you see, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another paraclete, another advocate, another comforter, another intercessor, like myself, to be with you always. And Jesus identifies this advocate, or this uh, counselor, if you will, as the spirit of truth, which the world cannot accept because it neither sees nor knows it. What is it about the truth that is so difficult for people to get their minds around in the Middle East? Well, let's remind ourselves that in the Middle East, the principal values that drive traditional Middle Eastern culture are honor and shame. Retain and gain honor at every opportunity. Avoid acquiring shame. So you need to focus on honor and disassociate yourself with shame. If those are the two principal values, then you are actually expected in certain circumstances to lie in order to maintain your honor status. It happened many times when I lived in the old city of Jerusalem, uh, questioning a particular person about directions to a particular place. And that person, a Middle Eastern person themselves, would give me the answer that they knew I wanted to hear, even though the directions proved absolutely fruitless. This happens all the time in the Middle East, because, again, you have to understand, being honorable and appearing honorable is much more important than being honest. Now, Jesus knows that. He's a man of his culture. And he says, this advocate will be with you always, that he'll call the spirit of truth, which the world, that is the Middle Eastern world of his day, cannot accept because it neither sees nor knows it. We, we picked this up later in the Gospel of John when Jesus is standing before Pilate. And remember, Pilate hears from Jesus that he is the true king, and the response of Pilate is, truth. What is truth? And so we understand then that the world at that time, 
had a difficult time with the idea of the truth. What is true? And so this paraclete, this assistant, this advocate is going to be present in a new way and will remind the disciples about all things having to do with what Jesus commanded. And this is why in verse 17, the next sentence reads, but you know it, meaning the truth, because it remains with you and will be in you, because I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Most of you listening to this podcast are aware that the central doctrine of the Trinity, which flows and courses over all denominational lines, is that of the Trinity, that God exists as three persons in a single nature. You probably also know that you cannot find the word Trinity in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, or in the New Testament. The word doesn't exist, although the theological concept is certainly implied. No more clearly than here. Jesus has promised that the disciples will receive another advocate, like himself, to be with them always. He calls that advocate the Spirit of Truth. We call that advocate also the Holy Spirit, which the world cannot accept because it neither sees nor knows it, meaning the truth is not a primary value. It's not a single and most important value in the Middle Eastern world at that time or in traditional Middle Eastern culture today. That value is the value of honor. But, Jesus says, you know it, you know the Spirit, because it remains with you in the person of Jesus as he speaks at that particular moment in time and will be in you. And that, of course, is a reference that is predictive and fulfilled on Pentecost A.D. 32 when the Holy Spirit descends upon the 120 gathered in the upper room that moment of indwelling is recorded on that particular day. Jesus says, but you know it, because it remains with you, Jesus is speaking to them, and will be in you. And then he says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Let's define an orphan from a biblical point of view. In the Bible, an orphan is a fatherless child. A child with a mother but no father, is considered an orphan. Obviously, a widow without a husband is defined as a widow. Without her husband, she's a widow. A child without a father is an orphan. If Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans, he's revealing that he is co-equal with the Father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, veiled and yet revealed over the course of time, the doctrine of the Trinity begins to be recognized. In verse 19, in a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live and you will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. What is that day that he is referencing? Well, it is the day that they are waiting for expectantly for power to come to them from on high. You'll remember in the book of Acts, that particular narrative is recounted in Acts chapter 2. Well, let's look at Acts chapter 1 
to begin with. In Acts chapter 1, after 40 days of teaching and training post-resurrection, Acts chapter 1, verse 6, when they had gathered together, finally, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this it? Are we ready now? Is that plan going to be implemented? He answered them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has established by his own authority. The end will come when my Father decides the end is going to come. But, in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and then to Samaria, and finally to the ends of the earth. Remembering that as Jesus spoke those words, the end of the earth was basically the geographic limits of the Roman Empire. It certainly moves beyond there over time, but that's the earth that they knew at that particular time in history. And then when he said this, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him from their sight. While they were looking intently at the sky as he was going, suddenly two men, angels, dressed in white garments, stood beside them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking at the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, the assumption into heaven, I'm sorry, the ascension into heaven, will return in the same way as you have seen him going into heaven. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away. And they then collectively stayed together until the time for Pentecost was fulfilled and the Holy Spirit descended upon each of them. We're fast approaching that particular biblical feast. So I come back then to John chapter 14. In verse 20, as the events in the room of the Last Supper draw to a conclusion before they vacate the premises, Jesus says, on that day, verse 20, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That will be a revelation that you will come to when the Holy Spirit descends upon you. Whoever then, as our gospel comes to an end, has my commandments and observes them, is the one who loves me. And whoever loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will reveal myself to him through the power of the Holy Spirit. So again, this idea of the Trinity, central to all Christians across every denominational line. We are all baptized in a Trinitarian formula is revealed by Jesus in this most significant teaching at the end of the Last Supper. Now remember, it's going to be fleshed out. It's going to grow. It's going to be talked about and, and mulled over for the course of 40 days after the resurrection and then will be experienced personally by 120 men and women and then by countless others afterward beginning on Pentecost AD 32. Now this particular gospel brings our journey through John chapter 14 to an end, but we're not going to end just yet. I want you to also read with me verses 25 
and following. Because again, more information from Jesus about the Advocate, the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in verse 25, not part of our gospel reading, but still important to look at. I have told you this while I am with you. In verse 26, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit that the Father will send in my name, he will teach you everything and remind you of all that I told you. And this is the revelation uh, that Jesus shares with his disciples, that they don't have to worry that they'll forget anything. The Holy Spirit will bring to their minds all that Jesus taught them. And there is a surety in that. And there is a confidence in that that allows them to go forth boldly with the gospel message that will literally transform the world. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus promised. And that is what they experienced. Well, that's our gospel for this coming Sunday. And I hope that it gives you a deeper insight into these teachings of Jesus that are so culturally conditioned to the Middle Eastern world of his time and the Middle Eastern world of today. And so when unpacking them, we come to appreciate them even more. But for now, that's all your teacher has time to do. Never forget what a great student you are. And if you have a question, please feel free to email me through the gospel comes to life, one word, at gmail.com email address. Additionally, if you have need for a speaker in your parish or for a program, a retreat, let me know. Maybe I can help out. I have a Bible. I'm happy to travel, and I love this opportunity I have to share these insights with you. So, good day, and God bless.